Today, I, I hope to be speaking to you guys about something that is very foundational. Excuse me, let me begin recording. Recording in progress. Today, I hope to be speaking to you guys about something that is very foundational to our walk with the Lord. Um, it, it, it's foundational as a Christian. And um, I must confess that this is you know, elementary. This is, you know, the A, B's, and C's of Christianity. This is, um, you know, the the beginners. Um, and while uh, for those that are more advanced in the faith might not particularly be so interested in hearing this topic, uh, uh, this subject, this topic spoken about, however, we should never lose sight of the fact that um, without the truth of this message, without the truth of this specific topic, um, then we, we cannot even be said to be Christians. And it's, it's a doctrine that's called justification by faith. Now, I'm not going to get real lofty on us today. I'm not going to use a bunch of, you know, um, fancy terms you know, which some some people love to do. I hope to break it down very simply. Um, and you may never have, you've, you may never uh, have heard that term before, uh, justification. Um, but let me assure you that whether you believe this or not, you, you stand or fall, whether or not this, you believe it, like you, you understand it, but you also believe it within your heart because you can acknowledge it intellectually, but unless it gets deep down within your heart, within the soil of your being, you will continue throughout your walk with the Lord in despair, in hopelessness, in exhaustion, in a sense of striving, in a sense of uh, when is it ever enough? Okay, have you ever been there? Um, and let me say that if you've been there, if, if you've ever come to the place where you say, when, when will, uh, how can I ever please God? Or, or I'm just exhausted doing everything for Him. Uh, I'm just tired I'm, of striving, of trying to work myself to heaven. Let me tell you that that isn't the gospel. That is not the gospel message. It's not a matter of, good deeds outweighing bad deeds amen that's more islam yeah amen somebody y'all here <coughs> so um i want to i want to ask that we turn to romans chapter 3 again as i've said if if you don't get this doctrine then you have really no hope. Um, because the complete opposite of justification by faith, and I will explain what that means, is justification by works, by, by what we do. And now, I want to say on the side note that what we do matters. But as we will see, what we do isn't the basis upon which God decides to save us. 
It's not as if God is examining how much you've done and how good you have done it in order to determine whether or not you qualify to enter the kingdom. That is not what Jesus preached. That is not what the apostles preached. And we have to get this. Now, I understand that there, there's always abuses out there to any doctrine. You have some that would suggest that all you have to do is really just intellectually agree that the Bible is true and all that it, it, it proclaims and that you will therefore be saved. Intellectual agreement is not the same thing as faith. Okay, I want to make that clear. But however, there is a vast difference. There's a huge difference between faith and works. But I, I want us real quickly to, as I've said, turn to Romans chapter 3, <coughs> verse um, uh, verse 5. I'll give you guys a little bit of time to get there. Romans chapter 3 verse 5 it says but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly what shall we say that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us I'm using a human argument certainly not if that were so how could God judge the world <clears throat> um, it says someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory why am I still condemned as a sinner why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? So, so far, um, Paul, Paul's pre, Paul is basically arguing here, as he says in verse 5, that um, his claim is that our unrighteousness actually highlights the righteousness of God and thereby brings him more glory. And, and then some some had slandered Paul and say, said, you're saying, let us just do evil that good may come. And that's not Paul's argument here. Paul is not saying, let us do more evil and therefore bring God more glory. However, his argument is this, that though we are evil prior to Christ and, and God is holy, that that evil, that wickedness, in contrast to God's holiness, actually brings him glory. Now, it's not a glorious thing that you are wicked. It's a glorious thing that God is righteous and gracious. And, and this, this deep, this huge contrast. So, in other words, if, if I, I'm a billionaire and someone is poor... It just goes to demonstrate how wealthy I truly am. Are you all following? So in, in like manner, God is perfectly holy. And, and people are in their natural state wicked and unrighteous. And that thereby brings him glory by showing how huge of a contrast there is. That he alone stands in a category all by himself. Now, <clears throat> people's, people's argument then is... Well, let us just do evil that good may come. And Paul's saying, that's not what I'm saying. That's not the message. Okay, and so as we continue forward, he says, um, 
verse 9 of, of chapter 3, what shall we conclude then? Do we all have, uh, do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So uh, you have to understand what he was arguing from chapter 1 two and, uh, up into 3. It, his claim is that Jews who had the law of God as well as Gentiles alike, doesn't matter, are both under the power and condemnation of sin. Okay? And that the Jews who boasted in the law and their works and having the, the covenant before God and having a, a knowledge of what the Lord desired, who were, though, though unable to keep the law, it says that they too are under the power of sin. And then it says, verse 10, As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. So there's no one righteous. Now, I want to say, a lot of people love to harp on this passage here, and they make it apply to Christians. Let me say that this doesn't apply to Christians. Now, anyways... Uh, my main focus here is to show us the nap, the state of condition that a person is in prior to Jesus. Prior to their life in Christ, this is this description that the scriptures give of you and I. Okay? There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All who ha all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, a lot of people love to quote this passage here, again, as I've said, as Christians, and say, hey, look, don't judge me. No one is righteous. But that's not true. Verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. The very clear in 19, Paul is telling you that whatever the law says, and he's drawing from the law, every verse you see there, he draws from the Psalms or he draws from the prophets. And he says that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. But as the scriptures have made clear concerning us Christians, is that we are not under the law. That doesn't mean we are lawless. We are under the law of Christ and the law of the uh, spirit of life. We're not under the, Le the Levitical law or the Mosaic law. Okay, and, and Paul is saying whoever uh, it, that the law speaks to, it is speaking to those who are under the law. For what purpose? So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no. So what's the reason? That every mouth will be silenced. Why will mouths be silenced? Because they will have no occasion to boast in themselves or in their own righteousness or anything they can ever bring to God. Their mouths are silenced. See, when mouths are loud... Uh, when the scriptures use language of a, a loud woman, uh, an obstinate woman, uh, or a, a man who speaks lofty words, it, it's speaking of those who are 
crowd who use high language to elevate themselves. But when the Bible mentions silence, it's speaking of a place of humility. So in other words, the law is intended to show you how unrighteous you are in your natural state to reveal to you that you are in a desperate need for the salvation of God and that there is nothing you or I can ever do to contribute to that salvific process. We should be prostrate in humility, saying, Oh God, my mouth is silenced. My mouth is stopped. There's nothing I can boast about. I am unrighteous. <clears throat> and it says, Therefore, verse 20, No one, not a select few, not the morally elite or the religious elite, he says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. So Paul is saying the reason why the law was given was to show you and I that we cannot keep it in our natural condition, our natural state, Apart from the regenerating power, the life-giving power, the quickening power of the Holy Ghost. And it was to show us that in our natural state, that, hey, it just tells us that we are sinners. It, it, what does conscious mean? It says uh, th that we may be aware of our sin. That's what it means to be conscious of sin. And so, uh, as Galatians says that the law was our tutor or our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That righteousness may be by faith. That justification may be by faith. Not by what we do. Now, this is where a lot of Christians get it, you know, get it twisted because they're like, well, aren't I supposed to do something? And yes, but if that's where you begin, you got the cart before the horse. You'd never put a cart before the horse and expect the cart to lead you and the horse. You put the horse before the cart and allow the horse to lead you and the cart. See, when the, when the Lord had brought the people out of the land of Egypt, if you understand the chronological order of his salvific process, his, his saving process, it began with what? Him bringing out the Israelites with an outstretched arm. So he brought them out of Egypt with an outstretched arm. He says, let my people go through the mouth of Moses so that we may worship in the wilderness. So here, first it's saving, then it's worship, and then what happened thirdly? Then the law was given on Mount Sinai. So first is salvation, then is worship, then is law keeping. So in other words, we are saved first even before we obey. It's not that we obey in order to get saved. Do you see that? Do you see that distinction there? 
Because if I obey in order to get saved, the Bible says I have to keep the law perfectly. But Paul has already established that no one in the sight of God can be justified by keeping the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So now, it, it, it isn't to suggest that God is lawless or that we can be lawless. Hey, well, I'm just justified by faith. I can just go live however I want. That's not that's not the purpose. Okay? Now I should I should at this point explain to us what exactly justification is. Um justification is Yeah, that's a good point. Justification is a legal term, and it means to be declared righteous. To be justified is to be declared righteous. Now, there's two things that must occur in order for you to be declared righteous. First, you must be uh, innocent, right? But that isn't enough. Because if I'm merely innocent, I'm, I'm in a neutral place before God. I don't have any bad record, but neither do I have any good record. So it's not enough to say that you are innocent. To, to be justified according to the scriptures is to actually be positively declared as a righteous person. You are in right standing with God. You are a upright person. You are a just individual. You are a righteous individual. Now, as we've already learned that it's not through the law that we become righteous because it has already told us that there is none righteous. No, not one. So it's not that it's a contradiction, but it's not, but it, because on the one hand, say no one's righteous. But justification implies being declared righteous, right? So obviously it's through Christ. It's not through what I do. It's through his finished work. And so I, I want us to turn to um, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. And I believe this captures it very accurately. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Do you see that? So Paul is saying the one who works who doesn't work his wages okay are credited as a gift it says not credited as a gift but as an obligation so in other words if i work and, and we understand wages if i put in an hour i get ten dollars or fifteen dollars or fifteen euros right i put in two hours i get thirty euros or thirty dollars and Paul is saying that's not how salvation works. It's not a transaction of do and you will get. It's a transaction of 
believe and you shall receive. And if you believe and you receive, it then is a gift and it's not wages. Do you understand that? Because uh, if, if it's by what I am doing, then remember, in order for me to receive life, what do I have to do? I have to be perfect. If I am not perfect, I don't get life as my wage. What do I get instead is death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So if you sin, which we all have, we then, as a consequence of that, necessarily should receive death, condemnation, hell. Amen, somebody? But that is not how God is operating. Instead, he is saying, I am going to give you an A on your report card, and the A or the satisfactory uh, uh, um, report card is on the basis not of what you do, but on you receiving it as a gift. Amen, somebody? And, and, and it drives it at home because it says this. <clears throat> Verse 5, However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies who? The godly? Who justifies the ungodly. Wow, isn't that a revolutionary thought? To think that God justifies, and we've learned that that means to declare righteous. God is declaring righteous the ungodly. I, I didn't make that up. It's right there in the text. Again, I'll read it. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So how is that true? So what does faith do? Faith is looking to Christ. It's looking away from self. It's saying, I don't trust myself. I don't trust I can save myself. I don't trust that anything I can do can uh, uh, save me. Instead, I look solely and entirely to Jesus and what he has done on my behalf in order to save this wretched man because I am ungodly. I need to be declared righteous and I have already learned that it can't be on what I've done because every time I try to do, I jack it up, I mess it up. Instead, I'm looking to the one who has already worked and has declared it to be finished. Amen. So, Y'all following? Amen. <clears throat> so, um, now, it, here's an important distinction. Because it doesn't, when, when we say declare righteous, we're not saying he makes righteous. Um, when we're saying he declares us to be righteous, it doesn't mean to say that he makes us righteous. Now, again, I'm not. Uh, here's one thing I'm not saying. I'm not saying that he doesn't make us righteous because he certainly does. But him making us righteous is what is called sanctification. 
What we're talking about here today is justification. Now they go hand in hand. Okay? The, the spirit who justifies is also the spirit who sanctifies. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means that he sets you apart and he makes you holy. But, but here's, here's the big difference. It's not that I get holy in order to be justified. I am justified, therefore he makes me holy. In fact, let us turn real quickly to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. And if you could, uh, it, it brings that out more clearly in the NIV version. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you see that? For by, for by your righteousness? No. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There is, there is, there is a continuous verb there. Being. It, it, it doesn't say he made perfect forever those who are made holy, for those who are being made holy. So every day the Spirit is working on you and me to continue to chisel things out of our life to make us look more like Christ, to conform us to the image of Jesus. But do not get it mistaken. It's not your conformity to his image that is what makes you righteous. It's rather you are already declared righteous and are therefore being conformed into his image. You don't get sanctified to get justified. You are justified and are therefore being made sanctified. Amen? Oh man, if y'all don't shout, the rocks are going to take your place. I'm telling you. <laughs> if you don't cry out, the rocks will. This is good news. This is what the gospel message is. This is what it means that we have good news. Because if it was in the reversal, guess who would all be in hell? Everybody. Now, um, I want to go to another passage. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 19. <clears throat> so, again, justification is God declares you righteous. It's a legal declaration by God. And it means to be made just in his sight. To be made just in his sight. Not on the basis of what you do. But on trusting the finished work of Christ. The trust in the blood of Jesus. And it says here, um, Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Well, uh, let's actually begin at verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, 
So also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, namely Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, namely Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. So, we see that we are made righteous through the obedience of Jesus Christ. So, Paul isn't saying that through your obedience you are made righteous. He's saying that through the obedience of Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Amen. Do you see that? So, this is crucial because we're here, we're trusting in the blood of Christ. We're trusting in the death that he paid on our behalf. And see, that, that's what the gospel message is all about, is that he was righteous and perfect, but he was declared guilty. We are guilty before God, but we are saved and we escape as though righteous. He had no sin, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. As the Bible says, he was the uh, 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 blameless lamb of God, but he was condemned to a cross. But we, however, are guilty before the law, but are nonetheless saved and not condemned. Now, here's another passage I want to show us. Romans chapter 4, verse 3 through 6. So when he declared us to be righteous, he not only declared us innocent, he not only declared us not guilty, because that's an aspect of justification. He declared us not guilty. But more than that, he declared us righteous because of our receiving of the righteousness of Christ. If you look in Romans chapter 4 verses 3 through 6. It says this. <clears throat> what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness. Now to the one who works wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. We read this already but this time I want to focus on. Excuse me. Verse 6 through 8. I'm sorry. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. And so there we have forgiveness of sins. So that covers the guilty aspect. We're, we're not guilty. We're innocent. But innocence isn't necessarily righteousness. Okay, now, verse eight: <clears throat> Blessed is the one to whom, uh, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Okay, or as the KJV puts it, to whom the Lord will not impute sin, who will not reckon sin. Instead, the Lord reckons righteousness to us. What that means is, um. That God is accounting us to be righteous on the basis of Jesus' righteousness. As we've learned right now in Romans 5. 
And so it's not on the basis of our works, but on the works of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Man. <clears throat> Amen. Let, let me just read a couple of other passages. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 through 9. Ephesians chapter 2, 2 verses 8 through 9. And sometimes I can't find these. <clears throat> So this is what the Bible says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So remember we read earlier in Romans <coughs> how um, that whatever the law says, namely, none is righteous, no, not one, all have turned aside and become worthless. Their mouths are open graves. Their tongues practice the sea. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery marks their ways. It says, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So, what does it mean to be silenced? It means I have no reason to boast. So, that is the negative of saying this. That you have been declared righteous, you have, you have become saved through faith, not by works, so that you can't boast about it. Do you see that? So we see here that salvation is a gift. It is not a transaction of, I work harder and I get saved. Right? Because if that is the standard upon which we judge whether we're saved, we have to reach perfection practically in order for God to grant us righteousness. That is what we have to do, but instead God in His grace provides another way for guilty sinners. And this is where the hope comes from. If you ask someone from Islam, they don't have hope. All they can do is hope and expect that God would save them. They, they, they're like, maybe, I don't know, maybe God will save me, I'm not sure. It's up to Him, if Allah wills. Right? I, I don't know how they even hope that that's true. Because if, if it's based on their good deeds, then they're long gone. And that's, that's not even how God judges whether or not we're, we're righteous or not. Because if it's by what we do, even if we've committed one sin in our life, all of our good deeds can never erase that bad crime. Amen, somebody? It, you know, we, we hear this very often. You know, uh, uh, if you watch Ray Comfort's videos and he makes a valid point. 
that when you stand before the court of law, the judge is base, judging you not on the basis of all the cookies you've baked, the old ladies you've walked across the street, how many times you've been to church. He's examining you on the basis of what your crime has brought you there for. Uh, what crime you are being evaluated for. And if you are uh, guilty as charged, then that crime will send you to jail. And it doesn't matter how many good things you've done. That is not the purpose for your examination in the court of law. And in a like manner, when we stand before God, apart from Jesus, it doesn't matter how many good things we've ever done in our life. We will be condemned. Amen. Therefore, the hope isn't in what we do, but in whom we have believed. Does that make sense? Amen. <clears throat> now, it's important, it's crucial that you understand this because if you don't, you'll continue to try to, you know, earn salvation. Salvation can't be earned. We've already learned in Ephesians 2 that it's a gift. You don't earn gifts, you receive them. So, if you continually think that I have to earn this thing, well, first of all, you won't ever earn it. And that will actually be to your downfall. But you will always be in a psychological place of uncertainty. Wondering if it is ever enough. Wondering if, if you've done enough. If you gave enough. If you, now, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for sacrifice. But the sacrifice comes out of a heart that already fully understands that Jesus has paid it all. Watch, if you turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... <clears throat> I've said this many times, but whenever there's a therefore there, you have to ask why it's therefore. <laughs> That's funny. But seriously, whenever there's a therefore there, you have to wonder why is it right there? It's because it's a transitionary uh, a word. And, and so in other words, Paul is saying in light of everything that I've said from Romans 1 up until this point, in light of all that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And so we see that Paul thinks of all that he has said to be a, a book of mercy, an explanation of God's mercies, of his, salva his saving process, the blood he has shed, the life he gave for you. In light of, in the view of God's mercy, now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So it's not that my offering, the offering of my body is what saves me. 
The offering of the body of Jesus Christ is what saved me. Now, therefore, in light of, of God's mercies, offer your body to him in love. Amen. Um, there's, there's this uh, verse here, actually, in Romans 12. Uh, I believe it's here, or it might be 13. It says, let no debt remain outstanding other than the debt of love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So, <clears throat> see, what happened when you got saved is that God took your debt that you've had with sin and put you in debt with love. So, because apart from Christ, that debt of sin can't be paid off. It can't. You know how you, you pay the, the debt of, of sin? It's with your life. The wages of sin is death. And it takes an eternity and you still won't pay it off. You see how heavy that is? People will be cast into hell forever. And they will spend a billion years in hell. And after that billion years, they are not one second closer to paying that debt off than when they first began. Y'all feel that? That's a heavy reality. And so next time you, you want to, you know, treat <clears throat> God as if, you know, he's just some sugar daddy. Or you can just be slothful or negligent or it just don't really matter. Understand the gravity and the weight from which God has saved you and I. Amen. You know, I'm, I'm not one to harp on hell. You know, I, I think it can be counterproductive, but nonetheless... Don't be mistaken that it is still in our Bibles. And I'm not mentioning hell in order to say, Oh, you know, you might go there. Because if, in your, if you're in Christ, you're, you have a secured ticket to go with the Lord. If you continue in faith. Paul says, this is the gospel in which I preach, in which you shall be saved if you continue in faith. So if you're continuing in faith, you will be saved. You are saved, but you, you will receive the consummation of that salvation. But I, I want us not to ignore the fact that God saved us from hell. Amen. So when we're talking about how Jesus justified us, how he saved us, how his blood washed us clean. We're not talking about standing before a temporal tribunal. 
We're not talking about standing before a temporal court with a temporal verdict and a temporal consequence. We're talking about salvation from an eternal consequence that was too heavy for even the most stout of souls to endure. Amen. And there have been often times where I have spoken to people who are nonchalant, were, were indifferent to the reality of this truth. And, and, you know, ministering to people, say, do you understand that if you reject Christ, that you're in effect saying, give me hell? You know, it, it said that if a, <coughs> if a bird travels to the east shore and gets a grain of sand with its beak and travels, you know, uh, takes it all the way to the west shore and does that, and continues to repeat that process until he has, uh, uh, had, re had taken every grain of sand from the east shore to the west. It's said that, one, that uh, not even a second in eternity has begun. It is without end. It's eternal. You spend a billion years in eternity. <coughs> I want you to grasp this. The oldest among us are not even a hundred years old. Now what is a thousand? A thousand is a hundred times ten. And it takes uh, it takes uh, it takes a thousand, ten times for ten thousand. A thousand, a hundred times for a hundred thousand. It takes a thousand, repeating a thousand, a thousand times to get a million. And you repeat that process, it takes you to get a million, a thousand times for you to get one billion. And if you live one hundred billion years in eternity, you're still not a second closer to an exit. And people, you know, and I, I know that it's not healthy for us to live there because we got the day in and day out of uh, duties and bills and, you know, caring for people and it just will bombard us if we just live in with eternity constantly in our minds. I don't think that God wants us to live there. Um. Because eventually you need to come up for breath. But occasionally. Because I don't harp on this often. I want to press it upon your conscience. Eternity is a long time. A long time. It's too long. Now, my brothers and sisters, is therefore is your valid is your complaint valid? Is my complaint valid? Do I have occasion to to complain before God in light in light of the fact that He has saved us from so much? He has, he has saved us with so 
great a salvation. And, and, and I, I don't mean to bombard us with guilt, but I want to lovingly correct us here and say, my brothers and sisters, is, is to pray that hard? Is pray an hour that hard for you? When Jesus saved you from a billion hours in hell, Now, I, 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 don't, I don't want you to just to hear the threatening aspect of hell. As if, pray an hour or you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the love of Jesus, that his, his body was beat and bruised and marred and ripped out of the volition of his will and gave everything for you and I. And I believe wholeheartedly that you know, they say often, but I believe that he was cognizant. He was aware of you as an individual when he gone to the cross. Yes, he died for the world, but he died for you. He died for me. He died for me as an individual. Paul said he loved me. And the Son of God gave his life for me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. He didn't say who loved the world, who loved me. And gave his life for me. It becomes personal. Jesus. He, he endured. The marring from. Wicked sinners. Wicked sinners. He gave his life's blood. He spilt his life's blood for you and I. And therefore, it, it, in light of the view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. He's not asking that you crawl on glass and that you whip yourself and you do all of these things, but he's saying live as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. It's reasonable. He has declared you just. He has declared you righteous on the account of his blood. You don't have to work to get saved. You're already saved. Therefore, live as if you are saved. Yield your members as righteousness. Yield your members unto righteousness, not unto wickedness. <coughs> you know, my, my brothers and sisters, it's not all about doing right in, 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 you know, because you're afraid of the consequences, though God does use fear of consequences. Otherwise, you know, why would he warn us? But also, not only the fear of consequences, but, but my brothers and sisters, do you, have, do you still have a sensitive heart that has not become so calloused by sin that you're able to say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to wound your heart. I don't want to sin because I don't want to wound your heart. I understand hell is real. I understand all these consequences are real. But Lord, you've done so much for me and I don't want to grieve you. I want to grieve you, Lord. I don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. 
You know, the Holy Spirit can become grieved. He can become grieved with your life. He can become grieved with your decisions. You can become grieved with the fact that you still choose that man when God told you to give him up. That you would still choose that woman when God told you to give her up. That you would still choose to medicate your pain by continuing to go to that bottle. To continue to go to that alcohol. When God told you to give it up. Oh, come on somebody. I I know that the Holy Ghost is speaking to us. I know that God is speaking to your conscience. Let no debt remain outstanding other than the debt of love. You're no longer in the debt of sin. You're in the debt of loving God. So why, why, why sacrifice? Not in order to get saved, because you're so, but because you're so thankful that He has saved you. In fact, I want to turn to Psalms. Hopefully I can... I read this last night. I I hope I can recall the chapter. Uh, Amen. It's Psalm... uh, I want to say it's 50. Yes, it's Psalm 50. Um, Psalm 50, verse 6. says, And the heavens proclaim His righteousness, for He is a God of justice. In verse 7, he says, Listen, my people, and I will, I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, and all that is in it. And so this is this is for us who want to get into a religious mindset. And say, God, I, I gave you this. You know, don't you see that I, I, I gave to the poor? I gave you this, I gave you that. I did this. I went to Bible study. I went to prayer. Hey, I was even on time. And you're getting into a religious mindset and see you're you're missing the point. And because he says, everything is mine. What, what do I need from you? See, that's where we get it jacked up. We get it twisted is that God don't need anything from us. He don't need your time. He don't need your money. He don't need your resources. He don't need none of it. He stands alone in the community of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, self-sufficient in that community. Do you understand that? Amen. 
See, see, God is so satisfied in himself, not as an egomaniac like some narcissists and lovers of self are today, but see, God is the greatest good and that he can be pleased in his own community of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He doesn't need relationship with us. The relationship with us is for us, not for him. Now, obviously, it brings him glory, but he isn't this needy, hippie Jesus that has fallen over backwards for you to come into relationship with him, and that if you don't, his life is going to fall apart. That's not Jesus. That's probably New Age Jesus. That's hippie Jesus, Joel Osteen Jesus, your favorite preacher on YouTube Jesus, but that ain't the Jesus of the scriptures. Amen. He wants you. But don't get it twisted. He don't need you. He don't need your time. He don't need none of it. So the fact that he extends his hand in mercy for you is indicative of the fact that his love is genuine. Because he don't need you. <clears throat> but look at what he says. Verse 12, if, uh, uh, verse 13. Do I eat the flesh of uh, bulls and of drink uh, and drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice Thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and I will, and you will honor me. So what does he say? Thank offerings. My brothers and sisters, are you still thankful? Amen. Or are you just trying to get God off your back because you know it's the right thing? Or how about this? You're just trying to get pastor off your back. Oh, I know if I just <laughs> say the right things, do the right things, uh, you know, I'll feel better in my conscience. I don't want Pastor Greg on my case. Right? Or are you doing it because you still want to think you're thankful to the Lord? Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for everything you've done for me. See, because there comes a place where doing things for a religious community, doing things for it. No, it's it's get it focused on God. You're doing it for him. See, people can be doing things for Jesus and get lost. You understand that? You're you're the Lord's sheep, but you're a lost sheep, and you're lost in his own house. <laughs> you don't even know where the master bedroom's at. You don't even know where the master bedroom's at. You you're like, man, where where'd Jesus go? I'm in his house. I don't even know where he's at. <laughs> And you try to console yourself and he says, you know, I have a mansion and there are many rooms. So you try to console yourself and say, well, it's reasonable I got lost. There's many rooms. <laughs> but he says, <coughs> again, verse 14, sacrifice, thank offerings to God. <laughs> 
Are you, do you still have a thanks in your heart? You know, there's this old school song I remember they used to sing in the church that I got saved in. It says, thanks, thanks, I give you thanks for all you've done. My life is now blessed. My soul has found rest. Oh, Lord, I give you thanks. Hallelujah. Amen. My soul is now, my life is now blessed. My soul has found rest. Oh Lord, I give you thanks. Man, aren't you thankful? What, what, remember what the Lord has done for you. Remember the bondage that he has taken you from. We can become forgetful. This is the reason why the Lord says constantly through the scriptures, he says, Remember the Lord your God who has brought you from the land of Egypt. Who has brought you from the land of Egypt. And the unfortunate thing is, sometimes when Christians are brought from the land of Egypt, they say, Oh, how we miss the food of Egypt. I miss my ex. I miss how I used to get money quickly. I admit, you know why? Because this, the voice of the serpent is massaging you and making you feel very comfortable and is reminding you. Hey, you remember your ex? Hey, uh, he looks good. Or, or, or remember how he used to speak to you this way? Remember how she used to speak to you that way? He's inciting you with words that are smoother than butter. But the end thereof is as bitter as wormwood. Amen. Until you snap into your senses and say, God, what am I doing? How have I veered off course? Egypt isn't a pretty place. Remember the bot. Remember. Remember when you cried out to the Lord when you were in Egypt. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Remember the oppression. Remember the burden. And I understand that sometimes, man, the responsibilities of life and continuing to do right is a pressure on you. But I assure you, like they say, you know, discipline weighs in pounds. But... Regret weighs in tons. Discipline weighs in pounds. It weighs something. There's pressure. But do not be mistaken that regret it weighs in tons. The fleeting of pleasures of sin for a season. Then the hangover is done. The high is gone. And you're left in a bitter place, a rut, a pit. <clears throat> and then what does the Lord say? Verse 15, and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. In other words, the Lord says, I will save you. Are you thankful for the Lord's salvation? Amen. Are you thankful that the Lord delivered you? Hallelujah. Amen. 
<clears throat> not only from hell, but from certain situations. Some of us has to go back in in the in the inventory of of the of, of the collections of of testimonies that God has performed on our behalf. Some of us should be dead right now. I know for me, I, I should be in prison or I should be dead. And some of you, you, you also have terrible places where you would be. And maybe your external uh, situation won't be necessarily so bad. Some of you are probably that good. I wasn't like that. I wasn't successful. I knew that my life was headed to a pit. But nonetheless, there are some of you whose lives would be successful, but nonetheless empty. Because you say, is this all that there is to life? Just going to a nine-to-five job, getting a paycheck, and going home. Isn't there something more to life? And there is, and it's Jesus Christ. And he says, whosoever drinks of me, he shall never thirst again. Amen. <coughs> I remember when I tasted of that water. When I tasted of that water, my soul become blessed and my soul has found rest. And I was never the same. I was never the same. I was changed. And you were changed. But look at what it says. Um... Verse 23, those who sacrifice think offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. So you want to know how uh, uh, the Lord is honored? The Lord is honored in a number of ways. But some of us have become so religious that we just do. And we don't have a thanks in our heart anymore. God is wanting to draw you back to remembrance to that which he has done for you. Remember when he, when he delivered you. Remember that. Be intentional about thinking about how the Lord has justified you, how the Lord has saved you, how he has brought you out with an outstretched arm. Because if not, you're going to find yourself just like the Israelites complaining, 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 griping, Groping, murmuring. Man, I don't even like this. Why do I gotta pray? Why do I gotta go read my my Bible again? Why do I gotta go pray? Why do I got? Why do I got? See, it's all the why I got us, <laughs> or this is also true for some of us who have prayed for jobs. You prayed for a job, and now you're com you're complaining about the job. Oh, y'all want to be quiet, huh? Amen, amen. You're just behind the screen. I I hope he's not looking at me. <laughs> I feel a bit uncomfortable right now. Or, 
How about um, you're praying that God would bring some saints in your life, right? And now that you come to Bible studies, you're like, man, these messages are too hard. I don't, I don't want to hear this stuff anymore. But you were just complaining about how you didn't receive the word of God in truth. <laughs> Remember? I think I hear crickets. If I could, if I can impersonate a cricket, I would do that. But I, I'm assuming that I, I don't, I don't do it too well. But I think I hear crickets. You know the the funny story. There was a, <laughs> I remember, I remember some uh, some uh, some kid from an old church. He he really sounded like a cricket. He would do a little impersonation of a cricket, and uh, and I remember at one time the a pastor was preaching. I'm like, yo, there's a cricket in here. He like <laughs> he did it really good and very very convincing, and they, they thought they were like, man, there's a cricket in this place, and it was him. He was falling around. <laughs> um <clears throat> but now let me let me uh let me close with this Romans 5 1 wait what What, what, what about game? The game. In the UK, they play a game of cricket. Like, ah! Oh. I thought you were talking about the game, game the rapper. <laughs> Sorry, that was my fault. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, okay. I get it. <laughs> um... Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. <clears throat> so, um, we have peace with God. We have peace with God because we've been justified by His blood. And I love what it says in Romans 8. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? <clears throat> Isn't that a beautiful truth? That God today doesn't stand against you. He stands for you. And in fact, you are at peace with God. You know, there's that old song, It is well, it is well with my soul. Blessed assurance. How, how, how grateful 
are we to know that it is well with our souls, that we don't stand condemned? Romans 8 verse 1, There is now therefore no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. I am not going to hell. I am at peace with God. What does it mean to be at peace? It means not only that there is not a war, but we are in perfect unity and relationship with God. He now stands for us and not against us. You know, a lot of times people fear the devil. And we'll be coming to a close. A lot of times people fear the devil and they think, man, the devil's after me. And that's true. And there should be a sense of sobriety of mind and caution. But my brothers and sisters, be aware of this. That that is a far greater I would much rather have the devil against me than it to be said that God is against me. Because if think about that. Amen. <clears throat> Imagine if God was against you. I know you might be feeling a bit hopeless. I know you might be struggling a little bit. I know that you might have some problems. I know you got people against you. You got haters. I know you got people slandering you. You got enemies. I know you probably got those feisty neighbors that are always disturbing you. Or maybe they're, they're ringing on your doorbell like they often do in my house and they just run. <laughs> they're like, no one's there. They just like to pull my leg. Right? I know you got problems. But if, if, if God was against me, there would be no hope. I don't even, in my mind, I'm, I, I, I would think, why am I even living? If I turn to the left, I'm damned. If I turn to the right, I'm damned. It doesn't matter who's a for me at that point. Y'all following? So, understanding that grave reality, and then to say, because, because Jesus died and he shed his blood, God is now for you. He's not just not against you. He stands for you. You know what that means for some of you know you know what that means though? For our enemies. This is why I have such confidence that don't don't mess with me and don't mess with my family. If if you're a wicked man, and you come against me, I'll pray against you. And you'll watch judgment come to your life speedily. And I, I will have no remorse. People don't think that God... See, people don't know God like that. But that's the God of the Scriptures. You know why? Because He stands for me. For me. On the basis of Christ. Bible says in Exodus that God is a man of war. Well, who is he fighting? He ain't fighting me. He ain't fighting you. You got to think about that. Some people are like, oh, I don't like that. Well, I, hey, I mean, it's, it's my confidence, right? It's the confidence of David. All throughout the scriptures. 
He says, Lord, hotly pursue my enemies, for they slander me. Their words are against me as swords and javelins and spears. May they fall into their own snares. Hallelujah. 